Hey everyone and welcome to Android Central Podcast number 318 for the week of December 15th, 2016. Can you believe it, Jerry, that we're almost done with the year? Uh, yeah. It <laughs> happens every year this time in December. I hate it when you put me on the spot with intellectual <laughs> stuff. Yeah, you didn't I, expect the hot, the hot intro. I know, I was just like, yeah, straight into it. So, Jerry Hildenbrandt, how are you doing? Besides not knowing, uh, besides having a very good grasp of, of how the passage of time works. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing fine. How are you, Alex? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. S- slowly winding down, but it's been, uh, I think, a busier December than usual. How about you, Andrew? Uh, yeah, in terms of uh, on the news front and just the Android world, there's actually, I mean, we usually have this big lull for like two months before CES, but mm-hmm. we've actually had a lot of stuff going on. But I mean, you've been busy. What have you been in the past uh, week or so? Uh, yeah, I've, I've missed out on the past week because I was in Costa Rica cool. and not really, well... You guys tried to keep me from paying attention to things, which was I always appreciate that. So uh, yeah. I, I pretty much didn't didn't follow didn't follow things last week. That was good. Normally I get troller notifications from you, and it's like, why is he moving cards around? He should be on vacation, <laughs> but no, you, you managed not to do that this time, which is good. And I know, Daniel, that's true. Um, <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I actually have a doorbell, so this is great timing. Uh, oh, continue, wow. and I will be back with hopefully something cool. Okay, yeah, um, just in, wow. invite them on the podcast if, if you want. It's, oh, do it. Yeah. It's the UPS guy especially. <laughs> anyway, while, while Daniel is, is seeing to whatever cool stuff is getting delivered to him, um, I guess we want to start off uh, we're talking about this, this RCS messaging push that we've seen from Google, which is kind of an interesting thing in, in terms of just regular SMS messaging catching up with iMessage and, and little kind of, sort of, in a, in a roundabout way on Android. Um, so being in the UK, I've completely no knowledge of this beyond the fact that it's <laughs> it's like MMS, but a little bit better, maybe, possibly. And this uh, is also something that we heard about before. Google's been, you know, kind of trying to get us ready for oh, this yeah. for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, you, it's easy to see why Google wants to do it. We'll all be in, it's a little bit more than just better MMS. Uh, RCS is... Yeah, you know, iMessage is is basically what you're looking at. You uh, and that uh, really quick, it stands for Rich Communications right. Services, right? Right. Which kind of gives you an indication versus SMS's uh, short messaging service. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. It it ties your 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 phone dialer, your address book, uh, whatever engine you use to display media and your text client all together. They're all touched by this. So and they my, they work really, you know, in 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 they're in step, just like they are with with iMessage, even if it, you know, is gonna look different. So I mean this this still requires something to happen on your carrier right. and on your phone. And there there are a lot of pieces that need to fit together for this to work. Yep. And you know, you could argue that with something like WhatsApp, all you do is, or, you know, even Allo or WeChat or anything like that, all you do is you download it to your phone and it works. Yeah. Um, and this is still going to, I think, the way it's it's working right now on Android is it goes through the Google Messenger app. So you still have to download a specific app. Um, and you could easily see how with future versions of Android that it would become a requirement. But this that's a really, really long play. Um, so for the for the moment, why should I care about this? <sighs> Well, well, y- y- you should care because uh, 
O2 and Orange and EE and everybody else is going to be doing it. They're 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 in the process and support some of it right now. You should uh, you same, should same shape care. the states is in. Yeah, you should care because it's it it falls under a universal standard and and it's actually called the universal RCS standard. Yep. Uh, as governed by the GSMA, which sets all the standards for everything that every carrier does. And the fact that Google is the um, the glue that is holding everybody together, you know, the GSMA can set the standard, but Google is actually taking, um, you know, it, it's put the onus on itself to corral all of the carriers together to get this working, yeah. which means eventually... At some point in the future, should all of the carriers follow through, including all four major carriers in the U.S., plus little old U.S. cellular, um, the, the the universal standard should apply to RCS and everybody on an Android phone using um, any app will be able – any messaging app will be able to uh, to get um, – be able to get uh, rich communication messages. So right now – it's only limited to Google Messenger, and that's because it's basically the the current universal standard is a is a specific thing that Google has worked on with the GSMA. But starting next year in second quarter, the GSMA is going to release the rele- is going to release version two of this universal standard, and that's going to come with an API. That means developers like Textra and um, Pulse SMS and every and Chomp and every third-party messaging app that you use today will be able to integrate RCS the way that they do MMS right now. And that, I think, is really powerful, and that that's why I'm excited about it. So the Cynic Amoeb wants to say that this is just another messaging client from Google, which has Hangouts and Allo and Duo. And uh, no. Wait. This this is a standard. The, the APIs Dan are talking about, the next one, you know, the next release of the standards is a pretty big deal because – it's not just Android. If you if you were in Germany and you fire up your iPhone and you go to the App Store, you can get the Deutsche Telekom Messaging Plus app, and it will actually be able to intercept but who SMS the hell messages. Is going to do that? Well, they yeah. just open up messages Nobody. on their iPhone and they start a new iMessage chat. When when. The standard APIs tie into all the messaging apps. Nobody has to because iMessage will just work. Well, exactly. I mean, well I mean, that's I the thing. <laughs> will iMessage just work or will Apple purposefully keep that just a little bit different so as to make it yeah, – so as to keep that incompatibility that you have with iMessage and Android now? Because it's it very it, much in the interest to do that. Yeah, that's that's something that was done on purpose. Ooh, I can't say if they will or they won't. I hope they don't. I mean, in an ideal world, yeah, it's um, that what Google's doing with with RCS just meshes with um, iMessage, and the experience is so much alike that you don't really notice. Like your your iMessage group chat could gel perfectly with RCS for people that aren't on an iPhone, uh, and that would be the the ideal world solution. Probably that's the way it's going to go, but you st- you're still relying on Apple to implement something in its own messaging app which is a huge part of the ecosystem locking for them right now that eliminates that um, re- that incentive for people to stick with an iPhone. No, but here's, here's the thing. I, I don't agree with that. So right now, Google is trying to get all these carriers to adopt just the next version of SMS. You know, RCS is just the IMS-based 
next step of of texting. It's it's a data for it's a data run form of texting, or rather LTE uh, form of texting, which is something that Apple, if it's smart, should adopt because all it does it doesn't make it it doesn't replace iMessage because you're still only you're still using those green bubbles to text with people who you know you scoff at and 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 hate because they run android but it's just that those green bubbles will have things like uh read receipts and higher resolution photos and and real-time typing indicators but they won't have what iMessage has which is games and apps and stickers and effects and all that so iMessage is still far beyond where rcs is going to be in a year or two but it's just that bare minimum functionality that Apple could decide to make more universal. So True. that's yeah, that's, that's kind of my point, though. I mean, even if they they bring in, sure, they're gonna. I think that Apple will eventually just adopt it because, like you said, it's the new version of SMS and MMS. But the it's still going to be this separation between sending messages to groups of people on iMessage versus sending a message directly to one person or to a group of people that don't have iPhones. And there's still going to be that separation. It, it shouldn't be. Because but it RCS, will be because but, iMessage but, is still a separate system that defaults itself to iMessage's system. But that system will... I mean, RCS will have the same access to your contacts. It will... It, it, it the back end is basically the same. You should know, in theory, no, if I had an iPhone and this is widely adopted, I don't have to worry about who gets a, a regular message and who just gets the, a text because iMessage just handles all of it. I just send a message. And if you have a a, a strong LTE connection or you're on Wi-Fi, you get the full risk, rich message if you fall back on just SMS channels, you get, you know, the green bubble message. But now, the client that, is different. That would that would require extra work on Apple's part. Nope, that's it not shouldn't. just. Yeah, because their current system separates iMessage messages from SMS messages. Well, it's still going to separate them. That's what I'm saying. It's always the tyranny of the default here. The Apple can determine on its end what it wants that group message to be sent as. And as soon as it's sent as an iMessage, that that group is now an iMessage group. Right. I mean, that's true. And, but, and but this so also it's, hand- up, it's up to Apple to determine. And you're not going to just... Apple's not going to just change its position on this to to cede that control to this this generics platform. It's a, a lot of people are doing this, and RCS has nothing to do with the front end of the app. Uh, any any changes that would need made to iMessage are are separate. This is your phone stack. This is your graphics engine. This is your address book. These are your APNs. That's what RCS touches. The front end doesn't matter. People are, what about encryption? Well, oh yeah, all data channels support encryption. RCS supports all three different types of encryption because data is data. Your client will, you know, initiate and and you know encrypt and decrypt anything. The data just sends. 
And it's worth mentioning as well that by the time that RCS gets anywhere near um, being ubiquitous, I mean, you've got to imagine how much extra crap Apple would have bolted onto iMessage <laughs> by then anyway. I mean, we already have games and apps that run through iMessage and that's only going to continue as they look for more ways to lock people in. So, Well, we, we also so have to all- consider that iMessage is, is just one example, right? And it's not even the biggest example. The biggest competitor is WhatsApp and WeChat yeah. and the ones that you mentioned earlier. And mm-hmm. those are, those are over-the-top you know, data kind of um, messaging systems that have their own platforms included. I mean, when you think yeah, about I mean, WeChat especially – well, this is the thing that Alex mentioned in the beginning. It's like people aren't just going to wait around for this. This is going to have to be something that, you know, once it replaces SMS and MMS and turns into that kind of default thing, that's when you can start to see some change. Because like Alex said, people are just going to install an app right now and be done. And they're going to be like the one plus billion people that use WhatsApp and just install that app and use it. And I don't think this changes that at all. People. Yeah. I mean, this is for people who don't use WhatsApp and just text each other, which there are a lot of, and uh-huh. we haven't gotten any bones for those people in a long time. That's exactly right. it. So this isn't gonna this isn't gonna supplant WhatsApp and WeChat no. and whatever. That's just not gonna happen. Well, the thing is, uh, it. I mean, we talk about people people just using SMS right now. Um, one of the great things about WhatsApp is it's designed uh, very specifically to work well, and it does work well on very, very bad connections. Um, uh, that's an advantage for it right now and going forward. Um, if you're looking at RCS requiring LTE, then by the time that does eventually happen, um, you, you know, you're going to be in a situation where a lot of emerging markets have really, really good LTE connections. So RCS and WhatsApp are still on basically the same footing. Again, um, that's the client. You tell it how to send the data, what's acceptable, what to change if the connection is low, and the client it has nothing to do with the standard. And it's also kind of like USB, where it's backwards compatible, so it'll always fall yeah. back to the per, to the uh, person on the other end's lowest common denominator, right? And that's, can, you know, it could be even 2G-based texting. As long as the standard fits, it'll just send it. So that's why iMessage has been so successful, because it, the blue bubble is automatic. There's no user input there. It just detects that that phone number or email address is registered with iMessage, and it becomes blue. And it, it, this is the same thing. It'll just detect that you're on a compatible device with a compatible carrier. And right now, those sync, th- those elements are all kind of tentative, but eventually, everybody is going to be on a carrier and a phone and a connection that supports RCS because it took 20 years for SMS to get to that point. So maybe it'll take five years for RCS, yeah. but it'll it'll get there eventually. My question is, by the time it gets there, will anyone still be using the, the default SMS app on their phone? Or will everyone have, especially in, in the West and especially in, in developed markets, will everyone have just switched over to either iMessage or... WhatsApp or whatever else. Yeah, is it going to is it going to take too long? Is my question. But I, I, when I it know. gets here, when it officially gets here, it doesn't matter which SMS app you use. I imagine when when it it becomes a real thing, 
that somebody is going to build a, a universal messaging client that is takes some of the things that Hangouts does well and takes some of the things that iMessage does well and takes some of the things that WhatsApp does well and builds it so it doesn't matter what your connection is or what the other person's connection is. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You just tap a picture in your address book, type something, attach a funny picture, and hit send, and it does the rest because that's that's the goal here. That's fair. So a lot to, a lot to look forward to, but it is going to take a long time. Yes, before. it's well. I mean, the standard. What is it, Dan? Early twenty eighteen. No, the well s- release two is is going to be final in mid twenty seventeen. So when you think about just being final, it's probably not going to get rolled out until early twenty eighteen, and then we'd have to wait for all the carriers. I mean, Verizon yeah. and AT and T have committed to this. They won't say yeah. when they're rolling it out. And that's largely because they already have RCS solutions that just aren't compatible yes. with universal so with, right. with the universal standard. Uh, so they have to well, sh- they've committed T-Mobile. to it, but they, they, they still have to shift over and that's gonna take time. I I've never used it on Verizon, but uh uh ATT and T Mobile both have carrier branded messaging apps that pretty much already do this, but on T-Mobile, you can only message somebody that's on T-Mobile with a compatible phone. Same with AT&T. Right. I mean, it's it's the difference between HD Voice and Volte. <laughs> HD Voice was carrier-specific, and you could only take advantage of those, you know, wider bandwidth calls and better codecs on carrier-to-carrier calls. And Volte is cross-carrier. So the problem is that AT&T still doesn't support Volte, and it's taking its sweet ass time to roll it out. So when you're thinking about all these standards, you know, I love this idea of this universal iMessage for for Android and all, you know, mobile platforms, but that's not going to happen until well into the next the next decade and as Alex pointed out, we may not give a damn about SMS at that point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very possible. So, as we're talking about things on Android, coming over to things on iOS, coming over to Android. Um, we finally got our first look at Gboard this week, um, which is has come in the form of Google Keyboard basically turning into Gboard. Gboard is the uh, the Google-branded um, keyboard for iOS, which had GIFs built in and image stuff and a bunch of extra functionality. Uh, has anyone actually been using it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I use, I've used Google Keyboard since I think it came out. Uh, as a standalone app and this the the funniest thing about this release with it turning into gboard in version six was uh, you know acting like none of these features existed on the just the previous google keyboard before i think that the the funniest thing about this is one of the biggest changes is that they changed the name of it i mean many of the features here as far as um emoji search and some of the customization the themes and all that like that's already been a google keyboard for years actually so the big change here is like alex said that you have um it's easier to get to well it's easier to get to emoji search there's also gif searching where you can find things and insert them and that also dovetails into being able to perform full Google searches in place of your keyboard, which sounds really weird at first, but it actually makes a lot of sense in terms of 
if you're on a phone, especially if you don't have um, Android 7, you don't have multi-window, you can hit a little search button in the Google keyboard, perform a search, and you'll get uh, like a Google Now card kind of situation where you just, you don't get a list of blue links. That would be kind of weird, but it just takes up the little portion of the keyboard, turns it into search results. You get Google Now cards back, and then you can tap one button and share that result into whatever app you're typing into. So this is kind of interesting, kind of dovetails back to the RCS thing where this is bringing deeper uh, information to any chat client, but it's being done on the keyboard end where you're performing searches and hitting share and sharing whatever's in the search results into, it could be a regular SMS and it'll send all the text and a link to the results, or it could be an image or, or whatever. And it has nothing to do with what messaging app you choose but it's just because you use Gboard, which, by the way, is just a horrible name, and I can't <laughs> so stand bad. it. So bad. So, I mean, uh, the branding makes sense, though, right? I mean, it, it's all of this extra uh, functionality. <laughs> it, it does. It's behind that G button that you press, and yeah, you have, it's yeah. it's the keyboard with a big G button, and you just press it, and it you just get the extra stuff. It just seems so, so dumb. hard. I have it's just, uh, <laughs> things I want to say about a G button, but I won't. It's just dumb when you say it. I mean, sure, it it makes sense. You're like, okay, Gboard, whatever. But it's like, it used to be the Google keyboard. It made so much sense. But I I think that it's it's still one of, I mean, Google keyboard used to be super, super basic. And you used it just because it was the same as what you were used to on a Nexus phone. Now it has themes, customization in terms of keyboard height, and you can add dedicated number rows. You can change the layout. You can change how the long presses on the buttons work. And you can add this, you know, this quick bar where you can have uh, Google searches built right in and, you know, emojis. I mean, Honestly, for for a uh, somebody who doesn't really use emoji all that often, being able to just search for one of you know the hundreds of emoji, you can just type in taco and it just shows the taco emoji, and you hit it and it inserts. Hot eyes, you know, cat face. Little, exactly, a little, a, all that kind of stuff adds up to make it a really full featured keyboard. Where you know, just probably a year ago or eighteen months ago, it was the most basic keyboard ever. So sure. I'm really glad to see that Google's continued to just work on this. And this Google search stuff is just a little bit of icing on the cake for me. It's interesting to look at what they're doing with with search built into the keyboard there. And like you mentioned, messaging apps, because it's like Allo is the a different way of doing that where all that stuff lives in the chat client itself and you can at Google and bring mm-hmm. Google into your conversation. Whereas um this is almost like a, a, a more ubiquitous way of doing that. And you can just bring up search and whichever app you're in, uh, you benefit from that extra Google intelligence. So perhaps yeah, a, I mean, a best way of doing that. That is an interesting way to look at it too. When, when RCS comes around, you can just type in your keyboard and hit send and it'll send a message. Well, yeah. I mean, what's, what's really interesting about Gboard and what I found so fascinating about it on iOS especially on iOS because you know search intent is not quite as good as it is on Android. Uh, creating a link to literally anything on the web is really in- like it's really useful. Having yep. mm-hmm. the ability to search for practically anything, getting a, a search result or a website and then uh, bundling it up into a short URL with a bit of text is super super useful, especially when you're sharing with a lot of people, over things like SMS or 
WhatsApp or any other chat ma- chat app. So yeah, I I, th- I think that Alex's point about this being kind of like uh, Google Assistant light inside of Allo is very well taken because it, I mean you can do a lot of the same things in terms of here's this restaurant that I was talking about, you know, here's the weather, like here's this upcoming show or whatever. All that stuff can be done just from a simple Google search and hitting share and gives a lot of the, you know, it's not formatted all nicely like Allo is and people can't do funny reactions and all that kind of stuff, but you get the same kind of information across and it could be coming through with just a three person, you know, MMS group chat that's super basic simply because you have the the g board installed and you you know being able to send that link very quickly is very powerful and it's something that you weren't i mean let's be honest it's a it's a big hassle just to get one link to be able to to go home or hit home on your phone go make a google search go to the web page copy the link share it back to you know hangouts or wherever this removes all that extra work and means that you might actually share those things but like we were talking about before the podcast, um, keyboard apps are such a personal thing. And I, I think we saw a lot of people in the comments making this argument that if you weren't using uh, Google Keyboard before, uh, or, or are all of these features in Gboard really worth the, the pain of learning a new um, software keyboard? Because if, if, you're, if you've been using Android for as long as a lot of us have, and you're used to, say, SwiftKey, then just the fact that the the uh, the gesture controls again to punctuation are a little bit different, um, you know the frustration of that is going to be such that it's just gonna it's gonna get in the way and it's gonna maybe stop you from persevering with it long enough to be able to make the most of these features. Yeah, if, yeah. if these features don't just scream about something you got to have, you're absolutely right. I I made the switch from one keyboard to another for different reasons, but one I had been using for what about six years and now I use Google on, Jerry, keyboard and which, it's one, which one which one well, it was swift key when they stopped caring about my data I stopped caring about them and uh and you know I I still think that some of the stuff they do is amazing and it was very very difficult to walk away from six years of remembering what I say when I need to say it mm-hmm. but you know it was worth it to me but more, you know, more to the point, it was very difficult to adjust. I would send things that, well, you guys have seen me send messages anyway. There, I don't care. <laughs> I just my big thumbs hit keys, and ah, they'll figure out what it means. Send, but it was even worse when I was trying to learn a new keyboard. Yeah, and you know, this brings up an interesting point about. I know when we were, oh man, when we were reviewing the Galaxy Note Seven um, back in the good old days. And we were noting about how the the Samsung keyboard, this is like the first time that Samsung's pre-installed keyboard wasn't a total dumpster fire. Uh, It was actually pretty good and did some weird recommendations and things, but it was actually good. But then you think, well, I'm not going to just start using the Samsung keyboard on every device I have. And what if I don't want to use a Samsung phone next time? You know, do I really want to build up that? you know, that affinity for one when I could just install, I know I can install Google keyboard or Swift key on anything. And then I have something consistent across all my devices. So uh, they're fighting an uphill battle there as well. It's like, even if you, 
even if Samsung does some really awesome things in its keyboard or LG or HTC or whatever, you know, you're only building a little bit of brand affinity for the some people that aren't going to s- switch phones. But most people are going to choose something they can get consistently across their phone or tablet or work phone or whatever. And what else is it interesting is that um, the Google keyboard, the old Google keyboard, is actually preloaded on a fair few phones these days. I think, um, was it OnePlus and Motorola? Maybe a few others. Um, you know, so yeah, maybe OnePlus uses it. Uh, smaller manufacturers that aren't interested in developing their own keyboard from scratch, they just use the off-the-shelf one from, from Google, and that's preloaded, and that's your keyboard ready to go. Um, that's going to be kind of an interesting upgrade for them, um, because that's going to arguably make up a much broader user base than just people who are on uh, Nexus and Pixel phones right now. So um, what's more interesting to me is that every phone has a a large portion of the Google keyboard. They use it for uh, voice recognition and and text-to-speech. Even if you use, like, let's say, Samsung's version, Google's version is in there if you dig in the settings. When Google updates something that requires those files to be updated... How much of their new keyboard are they going to, you know, I hate to use the word force, but that's the right word here, force Samsung or LG or HTC to display? Sure, we don't know. Yeah, possible. I mean. Like you're saying, like if they had a a mandatory Google search button on the keyboard or something. Yep. If, you know, if eventually they'll update enough stuff in the background that. Samsung needs to make changes to the parts that they use. That's the time when Google can say, hey, if you want to use that, here's what you have to do. And a lot of keyboards already include a Google voice search button, which, like you say, just calls up that that part that lives off in yeah. Android somewhere. So it's possible. I mean, we'll see. Um, there are any number of ways that Google could promote this, especially on iOS, where um, you know the, the Google apps all have like their own mini ecosystem within iOS. You can... You know, share intents work better between Google Apps on iOS, and you know, the, if you're using Gmail, it likes to ask you to install Chrome. So, um, yeah, it's almost like the how this spreads on on iOS in future is going to be become more interesting than uh, just the the way they're they're spreading on Android, which they already have a pretty uh, decent amount of control over, and especially because third party keyboards on on iOS is so horrible right now, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. as, as I'm sure. Uh, Daniel knows from from using that. Oh, they're terrible. I mean, it's it's, it's embarrassing. Um, and I just find, like, even if you use the quick, what is it, quick key um, on on iOS, whatever it's called, and just the setup setup is horrible as well. It's like no, but six even, even the even the native through. keyboard, like it's it's fine. It does a good job. But after using Google Keyboard or Gboard on on Android. It's so hard to go back because there are just some things that I think the Android keyboard ecosystem does a lot better. And what I found frustrating about Android keyboards in the past was that they often couldn't keep up. You know, there would be lag and there would be glitches. And then I would go to I would go to an iPhone and it would be it would be fine. You could type, you know, a thousand words and there would be no delay. But with the latest generation of phones, I'm finding there are no problems. Swift key Gboard, whatever on Android, and I now realize that those keyboards, being so extensible and customizable and, and, and really useful, are are just better than than the iPhone keyboard. True. 
So, um, other stuff going on this week. We got a and the, the sort of winding road of uh, of Android Wear two um, development continues. We first saw it way way back at Google I/O. We've had four developer previews. We're due a fifth, uh, I guess, in early twenty seventeen. Now we got the fourth this past week. A few interesting new features. So, um, like single sign in on the watch, which will then boot you to something on the phone. Um, also, new payment options. And they're still kind of messing around with a few of the different ways to uh, actually affect notifications on the watch. So a lot of the actions that uh, were there in Android Wear 1.0 that went away and now coming back. And it's like where one developer preview away from this being final and they're still messing around with it. You know, Google still hasn't quite worked out how a smartwatch is um, is supposed to work. I, I'm... I know, like our own smartwatch. Or how, how much we're supposed to interact with it? Yeah, I guess. how much how, what, what should live on the watch and what should live on the phone? I don't think any of us are actually use actively using the dev preview. Is that right? But um, I mean, nope. What, what are what are our hopes for the way this will eventually um, shake out? Because obviously, we're looking at uh, this big, big new version of of Wear arriving early twenty seventeen. Probably new hardware going along with it, including new hardware from Google. So, I mean, what what do you guys want to see from it? Let's start with Jerry. I. Sorry. <laughs> Dude, I, you know, I was really happy when I boxed up my last and only Android Wear watch and gave it to you. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I tried, I, and I do like watches. I wear one almost every day. There is nothing, nothing there for me. Uh, I'm excited to see what's new because I definitely want that to change. It makes my job easier if I have to write about Android Wear if it's something that I use every day because I want to instead of have to. But it's it's tough. It is very tough. I, I think that, you know, what, what Google has now, what Samsung has now, what Apple has right now, it's going to take a really, really smart person to include more without it being too much. We, we saw that with the gear. Yeah, they, they've they've scaled down a little bit to make it better because they did too much. But I think the thing with the gear line, I mean, it took Samsung to get it took Samsung a long time to get a decent smartwatch. I mean, remember there were like six generations of pretty yeah. lousy watches before yeah, we got it, to the Gear S. It took like four years. Yeah, um, but they finally got there. And and what made the Gear S two, which I think was the first really good Samsung watch, what made that good wasn't how much it could do because a lot of that stuff, yeah, you know. You know I'm sure you know, Andrew, from having used a Gear S3 the past week or so, or you know, a couple of weeks, what, mm-hmm. what's good about that setup isn't how much it can do, but how that advanced stuff basically can fall into the background and you can just use it for what you want to use it for. Whereas I think Android Wear kind of tries to expose you to the more advanced features um, a little bit more aggressively. And as a result, it feels a little bit more clunky, a little bit like you're, you're trying to use this computer on your on your wrist, whereas the Gear... Uh, you know, for the past year now, has had this more natural watch-like um, feel to it. Yeah, I kind of, I, I actually, uh, I mean, I obviously haven't spent a bunch of time with Android Wear 2.0, and maybe I, maybe I should to you, compare it you more say to that the Gear was, S3. You said that with such enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the big thing I was trying to, because I think you put it pretty well there in terms of how the Gear S3 it does a whole bunch of stuff. But I think I view the Gear S3 as more being um, deep in terms of you can go so many layers 
you know, below the surface and find all this stuff, but it's not required to use the basic features. Uh, whereas Android Wear is a bit more shallow and wide, where all of the stuff is kind of accessible and uh, necessary for your daily interactions. And I was already not happy about what I saw on Android Wear when it, 2.0 when it was first shown uh, compared to what we were used to the extreme simplicity of, I guess, was it 1.4 before that? Um because yeah, I thought I, that I'm that pretty was, sure that, we've we've hit 2.0 before. Like they, they've messed around with the, the numbering of, of this thing a lot, which yeah. just kind of speaks to how haphazard it, the whole thing has been. But yeah, we, and we've, I and I think so. Anyway, I think that that was obviously one of Android Wear's strengths before. But of course, the I'm sure the sales of all these watches weren't <laughs> good enough, and so they said, well, we might as well try a different direction, and that's why they're going this direction. But I think it's very telling, like you said, they're one dev preview away from a final release presumably and they're still changing fundamental parts of how the operating system works and i think that's pretty that's a pretty big sign that this they're kind of i don't i don't get the feeling that they're just like haphazardly deciding to do random things but i do think that they're just they're trying a lot of new stuff and it's kind of it's extra weird because we have all these hardware makers that are kind of ho-hum about Android Wear in general too. So how are you going to get that push with the new software? It's going to be, it's going to be tough to convince people that Android Wear 2.0 is all, you know, all that when you're going to try to sell it to them on a year and a half old watch. And you know, this, this stuff almost has to launch with new hardware. If you're a hardware partner, you've got to imagine your hardware is pretty much, baked and ready to go now especially if they're launching at ces or mwcs we're expecting and for things like this to be changing at the last minute isn't ideal for partners either <laughs> if they're trying to nail down user experience and nope. nail down you know hardware features like buttons and stuff um and, and google is still changing how core parts of the os look and work yeah that's that's less than ideal there um so we'll, we'll have to wait and see and yeah it's I'll, i mean look we're we're in the situation now where Pebble is basically no more. Um, you know, the, the Apple Watch even has changed into a much more of a fitness style product in the past year, and we're still in this spe- this space where no one really knows what a wearable is supposed to do. Arguably, Samsung is probably the the least offensive wearable experience now. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm realizing now that I, I published my Gear S3 review, I think the day that I left for vacation uh, a week and a half ago. So if you guys want to talk to me at all about the Gear S3, um, I think that it's an interesting... Uh, and it's, all, you know, in, in light of all this news of uh, Motorola kind of stepping out of the game, Pebble definitely stepping out of the game, Android Wear, and then Samsung is going, you know, full speed ahead. Well, Samsung's going full speed ahead with a different category of watch. Like they're they're going f- like full in on this, basically the extra functionality, which to my mind isn't um, really wasn't the best thing about the, the last generation of watches from them. The reason I like the Gear S two is because I could, you know, I got the CNN app or whatever the hell that's preloaded on here that I can just ignore and use it as a notification mirror that it's really good for or as a step tracker or whatever that it's really good for. Um, and you have the the setup of, of custom widget cards that you can have over on the right, and that works really well. Um, but it doesn't seem like the way to improve that experience is to have more stuff, and that's what they're doing this year, right? Yeah, I 
I definitely don't, I don't appreciate it from that standpoint. And I do end up using, I mean, I've still been wearing the Gear S3 every single, and I have the Frontier LTE for what it's worth, but I've been using it every single day. Uh, even when I was on uh, vacation, I was wearing it. I was um, swimming in the ocean with it. It did just fine, actually, which is good because it's supposed to. But um, I have kind of regressed to using it for notifications and, you know, using it for archiving email. Um, Every once in a while, I'll pull it out and I can hit two, you know, two or three clicks over and I can see what the upcoming weather forecast is or what my steps or recent heart rate was. But yeah, I don't I don't jump into the uh, absurd app drawer because, you know, why do you need an app drawer on your watch? But um, I think that it, that's what's interesting is Samsung is going full speed ahead with all this, I guess you could say traditional smartwatch stuff where you try to make it a little phone on your wrist, but that isn't even what makes the Gear S3 good. So that's kind of the, that's the annoying part about it. I've, I've come to terms with the size of it just a little bit for my, my wrist personally, but I still think it's way too big for a lot of people and it, it got really big to include all these features that barely um, anybody uses. Has anybody else used the Gear S3? I think Daniel yeah. might have one. I have one. I, I like it. I just want to you know go back a little bit to Android Wear <laughs> 2.0 because what I think what Android Wear 2.0 is doing is what Samsung has been trying and somewhat failing to do with the Gear series is make it a very is very making it more of a standalone cellular powered smartwatch and i think android wear 2 is really gearing the ecosystem up for independence what we have here is a you know better cellular support we have a separate app store we have seamless authentication through single sign on which means that even though your phone you don't you may not need a phone it'll augment and improve your the, the phone experience by allowing you to log into things with your watch so I'm thinking that Android Wear, if and when we do get new hardware, will emphasize the fact that these are computers on your wrist that can run apps and run them better than they can on iOS because of you know all these cool things that Android has now, all these new APIs that are available. Whereas Samsung is hamstrung a little bit by the fact that nobody wants to develop apps. And it's as good a computer as the develop as, as the developer community. And even though the Gear S3, in my opinion, is the best smartwatch you can buy today, and Apple Watch is far better from a user perspective because they have all of these experiences that they can advertise, even though nobody wants to use them. So it's it's weird. It's like a catch twenty two. Samsung's got the better hardware, and actually, arguably, the better software that nobody wants to develop for. It was the same thing that they were experiencing when they had those proprietary APIs on the phone side with the multitasking and the and uh, you know the S well the S Pen I guess is is different but um, and, and even the fingerprint readers when they weren't when there wasn't a universal fingerprint API on on Android you know they try to get developers to to build apps for it and nobody did and I'm thinking it's the same thing here so Google has an advantage just by being Google uh, but I really do think that Android Wear 2.0 is more about independence than than we think I I you know what I I, I see. All this stuff is in there for, let's just say LG, and this is just me using somebody's name. LG is not probably doing any of this. They see what Samsung has built. 
they would love to release a new G watch that, that has all this stuff. Google's putting it there so they can, if they want to, they can release a, a watch that you can make phone calls on or, you know, play Pac-Man or whatever it is you do on these things. In the meantime, people want, people want the, the, the Nike branded Apple watch. That's, that's what's going to sell. And, Another company can take Android Wear and make a fitness, you know, fitness forward stuff is, is what you see. And it's a, a sporty looking device and fitness people that, that do all this crazy stuff like actually exercise and leave the house. They can use it and, and it'll integrate with the phone they have. It'll integrate with your Android phone. It'll integrate with your iPhone. It'll integrate with your computer through the web. And that's offered too. Somebody can build that. So Google needs to be one thing for everybody. And that one thing is different. I think that the the point on the apps is very interesting because I, I think Daniel framed it properly where it's something that you can try to sell a watch on. But how many people really care about the fact that there are all these apps anyway? I mean, how many apps do you need to use on your... You just need... It's just like on the phone uh, in the earlier days when you're talking about switching between iPhone and Android. You just need that handful of... I won't even say apps, but just experiences and you know platforms available. You don't need 500,000 apps available for your watch. I think the fact that we're looking now at more LTE watches means, uh, you know, and, and like gigantic designs and just excessive functionality kind of speaks to the fact that people who make these watches have realized that they have limited appeal. So they're just going to go all out with features to people who really want to buy smartwatches. And so on the one side, you have that kind of watch. On the other side, you have, um, you know, that, that's like your Gear S3. And on the other side, you still, Samsung obviously still selling the Gear S2. The Gear S2 is sort of like the, you could call it a gateway drug into that, but that's probably the, the wrong term to use. <laughs> it's essentially a, a, a watch for the more normal average consumer where they don't want a bunch of extra stuff. They're only, only ever going to use it as an accessory for their phone. They don't need an LTE connection. They're not going to answer phone calls on it. You know, kind of the, the market that Pebble was going after. Um, and that's why I think we're going to see that this this split between gigantic cellular watches and hopefully um, watches in the future that are a bit more energy efficient, a little bit smaller, and we see you know kind of like a increasing differences between these two categories of smartwatch, where um, one is big and has all the connectivity, the other is a bit more fashionable, a bit smaller, um, and goes after maybe battery life and basic functionality over just throwing everything at the wall. And I, I mean, that's what I was thinking about when Jerry's talking about all of the different possibilities with Android Wear. I want to see companies actually do that and say, we're not going to take every single feature available in Android Wear and implement it in a big watch. We're going to say, no, we're not going to put LTE in here. No, we're not going to put a one and a half inch display. No, we're not going to add a speaker. No, we're not going to add, you know, this, that, the other thing and really focus down because Ever since Android Wear has been uh, out in the world, every single watch has basically had the same, you know, the the all of the available functions from that, you know, release of Android Wear up to that point. 
and the only difference has been the styling of the outside. I would love to see some company make a smaller watch with longer battery life that has more basic functions or a more fitness-focused device that was smaller and not as intrusive and all these different kind of varieties. But when you're talking about a niche market within a niche market, it's going to be really hard. It's really hard to see LG saying, okay, we're just going to try to make this device that we know is only going to sell 100,000 units lifetime. And it's, yeah, you talk about a niche market within a niche market. Um, L, you know, LG as an example is having a hard time making money selling phones, which, uh, you know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a very competitive market, but it is a ubiquitous device that everyone needs. So, yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the the task for them is is just all more difficult with uh, with something like the the Urbane LTE second edition. What a, it... And I made this point in my. I mean, I, I wrote, I did work a little bit while I was on vacation. I wrote uh, just a weekend column where I talked about smartwatches, you know, industry kind of being a bunch of zombies that are dead and they just don't know it yet. And I talked about this with you know Samsung and Apple can. I mean, they sell plenty of watches, but that doesn't mean that it validates this market for every company to get into because Samsung and Apple don't have to make watches a, you know, a standalone business unit or something that makes a ton of money. It's an ecosystem play. And you see how Samsung and Apple market their products. They're holistic, you know, they're parts of a holistic vision. And especially Samsung's latest ads where it's giving the gift of Galaxy. I mean, they're all about, you know, giving Samsung gifts overall. And they they have one commercial that shows a phone and a 360 camera and a VR headset and a watch and wireless charger and all this other stuff. And uh, um, a Galaxy Note 7 burning in the fireplace in the background. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that doesn't mean that, like you said, LG or Motorola should start making Android Wear watches um, or continue to make Android Wear watches. So I think the, the that that's an interesting point. You, you mentioned Moto there. The surprising thing, uh, which I think came out of the, the meetings that you were in, um, Daniel, a few weeks back, is that uh, probably alongside the Huawei watch, the Moto 360, both generations of it, have, have been among um, the better received Android Wear watches and surely among the better selling Android Wear watches. So mm-hmm. almost really, you know, kind of damning in, <laughs> in terms of the, just the reception that Android Wear has had, that even one of the more popular watches that had you know, a, a really popular first generation and a much improved second generation, that they're basically probably going to sit out the next wave of watches. Um, any more on that, Daniel, you can, you can uh, elucidate for us? Yeah, I mean, it was implied that the change happened when um, Rick Osterlo left Motorola and, and went to Google and Lenovo took over Motorola's mobile ambitions in earnest and the new uh you know chief product officer was was very candid and he said there's no money in wearables right now there's no incentive for us to focus on smartwatches when we're in a transition period and he was he didn't say it but he said in so many words that because they didn't really have an idea of where android wear is or was going back when the development of a new smartwatch was was probably necessary earlier in 2016 to bring out you know the third generation Moto 360. They just sat it out because why? If you know that 
Android Wear 2.0 is going to look and and work nothing like its predecessor. Why develop a um, an aesthetic and a user interface or a, a user experience around that antiquated and and soon to be obsolete operating system? So further, you have- further to that point, you're gonna they're not gonna Moto's not gonna spend the time to build something from the ground up like Samsung did with Tizen on the you know its Tizen wearable platform. So far, well, I mean, Samsung they, bought Tizen, but let's let's just. I'm a Tizen <laughs> fan. Let, let's let's oh, yeah. stay grounded I mean, there. <laughs> yeah, well, of course they didn't build Tizen <laughs> from the ground up, but they built their wearable platform from the ground up. I mean, yeah. it, and like we talked about earlier, it took them four years to do it. Yeah, well, it, it's wearables are important to Samsung and Apple and Google because of what you said the the ecosystem tie in. Uh. If if you start digging into the numbers, I, I did some math in the middle of last year, and it's like one out of every 19,000 people with a Samsung phone bought a Samsung watch based on their sales numbers, which in the end is still a lot of, you know, a lot of watches were sold. A lot of people have Samsung phones. Right. But that that's not that's not how they're making their money. They're not making a huge killing on selling watches. The watch is important because it ties everything mm-hmm. together. Like yeah. that rug, you know, ties the room together. Well, your Gear S3 ties the Samsung ecosystem together. Same with Apple. Apple made a little bit more money from their watches, but it's just a drop in the bucket compared to what they make from other products. On the Android proper side, that's that's Google's worry. LG makes a watch if they think they can make a little bit of money from it. The, the ecosystem tie-in is more with Android because they don't develop their own software and interface. And, you know, the, the way it works, it works with Android phones, not just LG products. So that, that makes a big difference. These companies, eh, we're not going to worry about it this year. And that's no sweat off, you know, no, no sweat off their back. It's Google that's going to be hurting if nobody makes a watch in 2017 yeah um we, we will have to wait and see of course we've had all these rumors about new hardware from google and um you know with with them making you their own phones and their own routers and a bunch of other stuff these days wouldn't be surprising at all to see that earlier on in the year also will be very interesting to see with motorola out the game who actually is on board with uh making Android Wear devices, um, whether, you know, HTC, which has long been an Android Wear partner, has yet to release anything, um, whether they get in there, um, what the next thing from Huawei is, um, maybe whether LG is still interested in doing its thing. Um, we will have to wait and see, but I think we'll we'll learn probably in the next couple of months of 2017, we'll have a pretty good idea of where that's all heading, so we'll uh, have to wait and see. And as we move towards the end of the year we've been kind of summing up our, our favorite apps and games uh on the site with a couple of features going up um i'll start off i think for, for me with the number of phones i've used this year and the number of phones just in general on the android side that have really great cameras and also the amount of travel that i've done this year it's been really great to have google photos to keep track of all that stuff uh, i know flow had a feature that went up 
about a week or so ago, um, showing her travels to New Zealand and, and how Google Photos helps you keep track of all that stuff and how it helps you, if you have a 32 gig pixel, uh, not run out of space while you're away. Always a helpful uh, uh, thing to have there. Um, how about you guys? Well, well, I'll give you a second on Google Photos, especially just because I just took a trip as well. And it's the nice thing about it is for for traveling. I mean, I've done a lot of traveling, obviously, and it's always so hard to you know, sit down and take the time to like collate all these images from different sources and put them into like an album or something. And Google Photos just makes that process super easy. Obviously, the auto, you know, the automatic backups and all that kind of stuff is fine. But for me, it's the fact that I can just on multiple phones. You know, I, I took pictures across two different phones, uh, and I also took a couple on my camera that I uploaded to Photos, and I can just you know click and drag on like forty five photos and a bunch of videos, and just hit add to album. You know, call it Costa Rica trip or whatever at a location and it just it puts them in reverse chronological order and it displays them really nicely i can share a link where people can view and download them if they want you know that kind of stuff that's nearly automated is what makes google photos so awesome and that's why it doesn't matter what phone i'm using i'm always going to default to it because it you know it's kind of this thing we talked about with the keyboards where i don't really care if Samsung's gallery has better, you know, editing features or something. It's not tied into Google Photos. It's kind of worthless to me because those photos are going to be in a silo. So I really, I have to say that Google Photos is kind of, you know, that's like one of just the core utilities that I'm not going to use any phone, Android or iOS without. Um, but I also, in our roundup that we wrote, um, I also picked Pocket Casts for a lot of the same reasons where it's like the syncing is what makes the whole app work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, you know, I listen on my Google home in the morning. I listen on my phone, on my computer, on a tablet, on another computer, and it all keeps synced up. I mean, that's, that's the most important thing. So services that can do that, like as well as photos and pocket cast do is, you know, what really makes it tick for me. And having spent the past couple of months, I'm uh, not actually using a pixel right now, but I was, um, you know, living that 32 gig pixel life for, for a long time and having to actually watch storage pretty closely. Pocket casts actually lets you, um, there, there are a few really handy features that can help you save storage space, delete podcasts. Once you've listened to them, only keep a certain number of podcasts or, you know, Make it so that you're not just downloading new podcasts all the time. You have a massive backlog of stuff that then just eats up storage space. So it's not only do you have sync, but you have a lot of really useful features for making sure it doesn't just you know it doesn't isn't just this black hole that swallows up all your phone storage. Well, for photos, I, I guess we're all going to talk about photos for a second. I uh, the I, more important to me is the way it can do videos, especially if you have a pixel. Because, I mean, I think it's 32 minutes of 4K video is a terabyte, and that's 120 bucks a year. But you don't have to pay for that. So that's pretty cool. Because, I mean, I've, I've got a terabyte free that, man, that should have expired ages ago, and it didn't. So don't, don't do anything, Google. Don't do anything stupid. <laughs> but De- I, Definitely no one emailed Google to tell them to, yeah. uh, to remove Jerry's free terabyte. And, but but you think that that well that's going to last forever when you just use Google Drive 
you know, for your documents and, and to transfer stuff. You hard, I hardly ate into that terabyte at all. But just playing around with the video camera to see what it could do and letting it back that stuff up. I mean, it, it's, it's 4K videos are, are sick big. So that's pretty cool. Uh, that and any other storage plan for photos that is online and I can retrieve it from anywhere requires one other company having my data and my stuff. I already had to give it to Google, so I'll just use Google. If somebody could offer me a compelling reason to use their service, I might give them their my data. But just to store my pictures, I'm not going to sign my life away to another person so I can use let them store my photos. Uh, yeah, I'll stop now. But uh, for, for my app, I and everybody's going to laugh, but I picked Aloe. It's it's not the best thing since sliced bread like Google promised us it would be. Uh, it's not any type of, you know, global messaging client like I predicted it would be before they explained it all. But what it is, is it's it's a better version of Hangouts. Uh, I The hardest part was getting my family and, and friends to actually install it and try it. But now that they have, that, that's what we use to send messages because for them, it's easy. For me, I can mess with them and make Google Assistant say dumb stuff. And it's, it's fun, and it's, it's just, it just works. And it works with an iPhone as well as it does with an Android phone, which is pretty cool. So that was my favorite app of the year. And don't laugh. Don't hate. There's, there's a good reason why. And in, if that's what Google's goal was with Allo is to wean people off of Hangouts because this has those features in an easier-to-use way, they succeeded. I think, um, I, I mean, I used Allo um, in the early days. I think we, we still have our Android Central Allo group chat that hasn't been touched since, like, September. Um, but, the yeah, the biggest problem for me was that Allo, like a lot of new messaging clients, it has the, it is always going to be missing the most important feature for a messaging app, and that is people. It's always going to be so difficult to get the people who you message on WhatsApp or just, you know, whatever uh, handful of apps that you've maybe been able to whittle down to that the, your friends and family actually use. It's always going to be so much more difficult to actually get in and have a reason to use that new app, however great the new features are. And I think Allo for me, in addition to not really have it, I mean, Assistant was kind of weird and not fully baked on there. Um, there were no features that really um, got me, you know, hooked me into the experience. Also, things like not being able to save chat history, uh, having to set a name and uh, a new picture every time you sign in, not having that persistence when you go from device to device kind of lost it for me as well. Um, but yeah, most of all, the like I said, the most important feature of any chat app is human beings, and uh, that's yep. always going to be the most difficult what? thing. To I thought you're supposed to that's... be able to just talk to Google Assistant <laughs> and just never talk to humans well, that, ever again. Yeah, that, that was the pain point with Allo. I was, you know, I, I installed it because this was our first way to look at Assistant. Uh, I I was involved in machine learning a little bit in its pioneer days with through, through vision cameras. And I've been just hooked on it ever since. I, I love the concept, so I had to look. 
But then when I started using it, I'm like, well, you know, this isn't terrible. So I convinced a few people to install it, and they, they've kept it. They use it to talk to other people besides me. So that's a mini success story if only four users matter. I suppose it's, you know, Google had, a, a, had some pretty good ideas in terms of hooking people in because you had the fact that through play services you can message anyone on Android. That, you know, kind of obnoxious, but okay. You could see <laughs> why you would want to do that to, um, to you know, get traction, you know, however fair you might think that is or, or otherwise given Google's position as a platform holder. Um, also the fact that you can see who, you know, go like what site you go in there um, and it just lets you see who on your contact list actually has the app installed because it just works by phone number. That's pretty cool as well. And yet they still haven't really hit that critical mass yet and we'll have to see. Certainly in the West, I doubt they ever will, but maybe that is the point. Odd. Duo is the much better of the two. Duo is an incredible app. Everything about it works perfectly. It, it, I, you know, if you haven't tried Duo, find somebody and try it and marvel it at how well it, it displays video over a phone, over, you know, a connection that isn't necessarily the strongest because then it's done. You're never going to use it again because when it rings here, I, don't want to be on a video chat (laughs) (laughs) or again you just you just forget about it because it's not i don't know i I, for the people that use it they're going to use it all the time for other people it's not a thing that you're going to use casually yeah and there's still the discoverability problem the knowing the other person has it and less that's less of a big deal with the video app like duo um but yeah um well we will have to see how that progresses in the next year and, and whether Google's able to do anything else to, to get people on board or whether it just, you know, becomes another Google buzz. We'll have to see. How about you, Daniel, your favorite app of 2016? Ho- hopefully it wasn't duo because we just <laughs> crapped all over it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm done. No, I have, uh, I have three and I'll be quick. I have the NBA app. I love basketball. They redid it this year and it's amazing. I have Newton. Newton is my favorite email app. I think it's fantastic. Definitely worth the $50 a year. I know it sounds crazy to pay for an email app, especially on Android when you have Gmail pre-installed, but this thing, especially if you're on a Mac on your main computer, they have a native Mac client that's just outstanding and it syncs immediately with your, with your, uh, uh, with, with your Android phone and iOS if you want it. Uh, it's fantastic. Everything is synced behind the scenes. They don't read your emails. They don't sell your data. You just pay a $50 a year subscription fee. Look it up. And finally, Android Central. We have a great app. If you haven't used it in a while, we just issued a huge update. Big, big performance improvements. We have added ads. Yes, people don't like the ads, but we have to pay for the development somehow. And the development is fantastic It's really, really, really fast now. So let us know what you think. Uh, Some people have been complaining about the ads and we hear you. We are tweaking them. We are minimizing the number of uh, over uh, takeover interstitials that you get when you swipe between um, when you swipe between articles. So that's something that we are fixing. If you are annoyed with that, please go back. And uh, other than that, let us know because I think we've done a great job keeping it current and really, really fast. So those are my three. And uh, I hope you like them. Oh, I I do. You know, I the ads. That's it had to happen. And it's like Dan said, we they're they're there, but we don't want them to be in the way because we use this app too. So 
you know, we're telling our developer when we see stuff, when you see stuff, just fire us off an email. Try not to cuss at me, but, but shoot us an email and because we not don't a good want, way to get a response, right? We don't want you to have a bad experience. And that's, you know, that's our, our first goal. Our primary goal is for you to like this app. And if you see a problem that we need to address, boy, we need to know. And we will. Absolutely. There you go. So one one last order of business before we um, stick a fork in it and put a bow in it, whatever else we might be doing. Um, Android and chill. We have uh, some pretty <laughs> yes. awesome, uh, awesome shirts you can buy in, in festive red. And uh, show your support for the site. Show your support for Jerry's awesome column that he does uh, every week. And um, we also have Android Christmas stuff. We have... Uh, our team Android T-shirt, our nougat T-shirts, um, also all good stuff there. If you're looking for some clothes to wear at, at any point, basically in, in your life, they're, they're all pretty good. You I can think, even get an Android and Chill mug, which is good. Oh, I'm definitely. I need to one get a couple of those. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wore I think, my. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. just rambling. Just, I was just gonna say I wore my Namey McNamey face <laughs> shirt to the doctor the other day. <laughs> Okay. And uh, three or four people were like, what the hell is that? <laughs> I hope you explained the, the entire history of that, uh, of, of Android and of, of Android N and of Nougat and, I, of, and I, of that Easter egg joke. I hope it was I, like a full 15, 20 minute conversation. I, I went into detail with the one person who wanted to know details. <laughs> but eventually, by the time the last person asked, I said, it's car parts. And they were like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, I think we're going to have uh, another podcast next week. Until then, it might be a little light after that until around CES time, uh, which is coming up faster than we think um, in early January. So I think that's going to do it. Um, Jerry, Andrew, Alex. Daniel, where, where can we find all Alex. you guys? Let's, let's start with Jerry because I didn't really time that very well. Uh, I've been hiding, but I guess on Twitter at at GB Hill, and that's G B H I L, and then uh, I you know on the website I'm I'm always around. Cool. Just say something in the comments and. Hey, you big dummy, and I might answer. Just like that. Hey, big dummy. Yeah, that's that's. It's this is activation keywords. Yeah, it's like yeah. okay, Google. I will now say it with a smile. I will now parse the website for all instances of hey, big dummy to make sure I answer. Awesome, Andrew. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at my name on Twitter and Instagram, and not really Google Plus, and. Uh, and all over Android Central. And, you see me ranting about various and things. And Allo and Duo, if you know his phone number. Oh my goodness. Oh, I've got well, him on I, I don't. <laughs> That's the problem. Jerry knows my phone number, and then, you know, who knows from there. <laughs> well, it's on a bathroom wall in the turnpike <laughs> rest stop. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Daniel, where can we find you? 
Uh, fielding complaint emails about the Android Central app at daniel.bader at androidcentral.com. I'm serious. Please feel free to send me email. I will answer. And uh, hopefully we can we can make you happy because we are uh, as much a services company as we are a content company. But we got to get paid, y'all. And that means we got to we got to put ads in our in our apps uh, and uh, at Journey Dan on Twitter, Instagram, Zadie.the.dane on Instagram. I need some more followers, oh, people. My, my dog is really in need of uh, some more likes. And, Wait, your dog um, has Instagram? Hell yes, she does. <laughs> Who are you talking Jesus. to? I'm on the edge of a, of a millennial. I, I have to give her an Instagram account. I'm going to give my hermit crab an Instagram. <laughs> I, would, I would follow yeah, that. It's war. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow that. I would follow that for sure. All right. Um, I, what is actually it, just to make sure you do that Joey what is the account name that you're going to pick for your hermit crab so that when this podcast goes up that it's going to get like an influx of, of followers <laughs> I have no idea how about I, can, can you say anything on Instagram or um, within reason can I say I have no idea what I'm doing or is that too long uh, I, don't know. I think that's too long Maybe, I, I, I'm not taken. very good at Instagram. Work on it. We'll, uh, we'll put it in the show notes if I you know. figure it we'll out. Put it in the show notes. So we'll, okay. Yeah, we'll make it the show title. Jerry's Hermit Crab is the uh, is the show title this this year. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Um, and I'm at Alex Toby and all the things. You find all of our stuff on AndroidCentral.com. Also, be sure to follow us on all the things, including uh, Instagram, where we've uh, had a nice uh, run of of cool stuff uh, showing off apps and new devices and stuff this week. So keep an eye on us there. Um, we'll be back for one more podcast next week before the holidays. Uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, we will see you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.